0: Today's sermon is going to come from the Gospel of John, so we'll begin, we're going to read from two different sections of John, and we'll begin with John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. I'll give you a moment to get to those. So this is John 8, starting in verse 31 so jesus said to the jews who had believed in him if you abide in my word you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free they answered him we are the offspring of abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say you will become free jesus answered them Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And now we turn to John chapter 16, starting at verse 8. And when he comes... When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come.
1: Right, thank you, Mike. Uh, good morning, Renewal Mainline. Uh, it's great to be here together for uh, our Lord's Day worship service. You don't know me. Uh, my name's is Dan, uh, one of the pastors on staff, and uh, it's wonderful to be able to uh, worship together with you all. Well, it's been quite a rainy, windy weekend. Hope you all got through that after an absolutely beautiful week, but I guess as they say, you take the good, you take the bad, and you have the facts of life. Right? <laughs> we run forward with both. <laughs> Well, we're continuing our uh, fall sermon series on the topic of the sufficiency of Scripture, where we're learning that the Word of God, God's Word to us, not only has supreme authority over our lives, but it has incredible relevance and all wisdom for not just some, but every area of our lives. There's wisdom to be gained on these pages because on them, We can find everything we need for, number one, knowledge of salvation, and number two, all that we need for godly living. And so we'll continue to unpack what that means, uh, to know that his truth is indeed our authority, and we need it desperately because, as we heard last week, apart from his grace, we're darkened in our understanding and alienated from God. But today, uh, our topic serves to answer the question, what does the truth now mean? accomplish? What does it ultimately accomplish? And so we'll answer that question with this, and it's on the sheet there as our main point. The truth of scripture accomplishes God's purposes in us by setting us free from sin and changing us from the inside out by the power of the spirit of truth. So with that, will you bow your heads with me? We'll depend on the Lord uh, for this word today. God, we thank you for this precious opportunity as you give us it week after week to hear from you, to sit underneath your precious words that you have put before us for our good, to feed us, to nourish us, to strengthen our faith. God, if our lives have gotten out of focus, to make that clear, and ultimately that if we stray, to reorient our hearts back to yourself. God, what can we do if we're ever left to figure out our own way in this broken world? If we were left to justify, our own existence before you. God, if we have ever had to make payment for all the ways we've fallen short. But God, we thank you that in Jesus, not only are we forgiven, but we're free. The truth has set us free to be everything that you have designed for us to be. And so God, I pray if anyone in this room this morning is struggling to know their purpose or feeling empty, God, I pray that you would empower these words to fill us to the full so that we may truly know beyond a shadow of a doubt who we are, what our calling is based on what you have taught us in your word. God, we lift up this time to you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what I wanted to do to start is, uh, real quick, turn to your neighbor and ask this question. If you're with a family member, this will be easy, right? What's one habit of yours that you wish you could change, but you can't? Okay, it could be something silly like leaving the toilet seat up or something like using too much sarcasm or something like that. So real quick, I'll give you like 30 seconds, (laughs) turn to your neighbor and uh, answer that question. What's one habit that you want to change, but you can't? All right, just a little icebreaker question like we do in our CGs, right? Um, But I hope that was helpful, uh, because I know that one of the biggest questions that often comes up in our human experience is, is true change possible? Can I really change? Uh, And these people that I'm concerned about and I'm praying for, can they uh, truly change? Uh, I see some young folks in here. Some of you are very young. I'm thinking of some of you youth, teenagers in high school or or under 25 around there. uh, You will probably feel like you're already set in your ways, your habits, the way you think, feel, your perspective on things, and maybe so. Uh, But man, I think about who I was all those years ago. Uh, I think 18-year-old or even 25-year-old Dan would not recognize who I am now uh, at age 44. I'm proud of my age, by the way. I'm younger than a lot of you, older than some of you, so no no worries there. Uh, My thinking, my behavior has matured these years. The way I dressed is different. I don't know if uh, you guys remember all those years ago. I think wearing clothes that were too big for you back then was actually acceptable, dragging on the floor. The way I express myself, uh, my voice tone, the way I laugh, my eating habits, uh, my priorities and values have developed and matured, and most importantly, my biblical convictions uh, have gotten clearer uh, and stronger. It's all by the grace of God, all by the grace of God that that happened over the course of time. And so true change in our lives is possible. And so the bigger question is, as we've been learning in this series, for whom do we change? Who do we listen to? And who do we allow to dictate that change in our lives? So I want to approach this message today to, to uh, show us that it's the Holy Spirit who is constantly at work in us, the Spirit of Truth, as he's called, who actively works in us to accomplish God's purpose. It was his life-giving word from the beginning that the Spirit worked through to bring about that change. And that is a deep, fundamental change of all that we were from the inside out, so that though there are remnants of the old self that still linger, I think there's a little feedback here, uh, old habits, thoughts, struggles that we must battle for the rest of our lives, But the Spirit works hand-in-hand with the Scriptures, working in all of God's power to bring us from where we are in our brokenness and deadness and truly make us whole and alive in Christ. Amen. If you are a believer in Jesus today, I pray we would never, ever stop believing that. My friends, if you're feeling weak, spiritually numb, hardened, maybe unmotivated to grow. This is why we come before God and sit underneath His Word, because it's the only way our hearts can be filled and come alive. It's the only way we can be made new and face the pain and troubles of our day-to-day lives with any kind of redemptive hope. Of course, God can use other things. Maybe He'll use someone else's voice or their words. Maybe a song you turn on on the radio gives you the feel. It's like, ooh, this is nice. A touching story you hear, or a beautiful scenery in nature. Or some uplifting experience to stir your emotions, to want to change. And we don't have to automatically discount those things. There is goodness in them. But that's not the main thing we should be looking for. Because what we do have and always will have is His Word, which will help us grow and mature. Am I on here? All right, I'll, I'll just project here. Okay? And so, looking at these various passages, I want to show a simple progression of the way the Spirit of Truth works to change us from the inside out. So, on there, on the outline, it's a three C's, right? Uh, number one, the truth convicts us of sin. Number two, causes fruit bearing in us. And number three, commissions us for mission. Convicts us of sin, causes fruit bearing, and commissions us for mission. Convicting us of sin. So let's look at the first passage here in John 8 where Jesus spoke these words uh, to the Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And jump down to 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin verse 36, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus starts this section by speaking of the importance of abiding in his words, because that is a sure indicator that if you do that, you are truly his disciples and you are truly following him. He then tells them that the truth, which is his very word, will set them free as they get to know it more and more. And after being asked what that means... Jesus responds by saying that if you continue to live in sin, then you are not yet free. You're a slave to sin. And if you want that teaching unpacked a little bit more, I can point you to Romans chapter 6. You can read that on your own. And so what you can take away from this is that one's life needs to be changed, and this change must be from a slave to a son. Because in verse 35, Jesus says, the son will remain in that household Forever, And here's how that happens. It's only when the true Son, with a capital S, the true Son of God sets you free by what he did on the cross. And if the Son of God sets you free, you will be free indeed. So in that same passage, Jesus says that the Son will set you free and the truth will set you free. So he works through the power of the truth in changing us from being a slave, a slave to sin, into his chosen, precious child, who, as the verse tells us, will live forever. And my friends, that change comes from conviction by the work of the Spirit. And so that's where we turn to our second passage now, John 16. Jesus says this about the Spirit. Is when the Spirit comes, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So that's what he does, convicting the world of all this, because frankly, this is an important teaching, because it's the only way we'll ever admit and know that we're sinful, that we fall short. Perhaps for a lot of us, this area of our lives where, you know, we know what the scripture says about putting off sin, getting rid of sinful habits, or as the old Puritans say, mortifying the remaining sin in our lives. If you want more on that, I'll point you to the theologian John Owen. But I say this because it's so much more than just a vague sense of guilt or just appealing to our own inner sense of morality. A lot of us might operate this way without even realizing it. We'll admit we're sinful or we're, or we're struggling with sin because how we feel generally about our behavior, whether it is guilt or this vague sense, ah, you know, something isn't right about the way I'm thinking, I'm behaving, ah, I shouldn't be doing that, no. Uh, here's a few examples. Maybe you recently snapped at somebody. Maybe it was your spouse, your brother, your sister, your mom or dad, a co-worker, a roommate. You did it in the heat of the moment because it felt right. But later you realize that it was spoken in ungodly anger, and suddenly it doesn't feel right anymore. But that's where it stops. I just feel like it didn't feel right what I did. Or maybe another struggle, you've been nursing lustful thoughts, fantasies you know that are wrong. Uh, whether it's... On porn, or someone who isn't your spouse, and you know it's wrong, but perhaps it's mainly just because after committing those sins, it's just like this guilt, right? Ah, something doesn't sit right with what I'm doing. Or maybe you're going about something at work or school in the wrong way, you're being dishonest about things, and whatever it might be, it's like, ah, I shouldn't be doing that, but it doesn't progress much more than that. But for the Christian, For those in whom the Spirit is deeply working, it's more than just passing remorse or guilt. There's a deep conviction about the Word tells us that this is a sin against God, a violation of the way He made us and how He's called us to live, and it's spelled out in His Word. I'll give you one example of this. I'll point you to King David in Psalm 51. This is after he committed his sin, fell into adultery, he was confronted, and this is what he prays. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment." So David, who was a man after God's own heart, familiar with his ways, his laws, he loved him, his heart for justice. You know, he went a whole year covering up this sin until finally the prophet Nathan pointed it out. And this became his prayer, no longer trying to cover up what he did or how he felt, but truly confessing that this was a sin that he had committed against the Lord only so that he's justified in his words and blameless in his judgment. And that's what led him to his deep prayer of repentance. And I want to ask you and encourage you all here at the same time, if there's something you're struggling with these days and you know you need to change, you know you, you want to change, but maybe you don't know why, let me turn to his word turn to the pages of his scriptures, and let God himself speak directly to those areas that he is pointing out. And he, in love, wants to change. My dear friends, we're all fellow sin strugglers, striving to obey God, living in his grace, and in a world and time where all kinds of sin is being normalized by the world around us, May we daily be convicted by his truth that sin is sin, an offense to God that requires payment, that we need forgiveness, that he died to bring that to us. And in the precious gospel of Jesus, all of that is freely ours. Secondly, uh, how does this truth accomplish change? It causes fruit bearing in us. So not only does the spirit of truth Come to bring us the conviction of things we need to get rid of. He also works to fill our lives with what is truly good and causes us to bear the very fruits of the Spirit. Okay. So, if you want, you can turn to Galatians 5. We'll, we can read about this there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, I always love revisiting uh, the list of fruits here because it's so much more than a list of traits. You know, to live up to. You know, the, one of the first things that I think is, "Whoa, you know, this is nice." It would be really nice if these fruits could describe me. But the sad truth is it doesn't. I'm not very good at all nine. I try, uh, but I fall short terribly, and maybe you all can relate. Not only that, these aren't natural. (laughs) None of these things are natural for us. We're not born wanting to bear these things. I see my son, who will be two in exactly a month, uh, as cute and as funny as he has been lately uh, to my wife and I. Man, there's a lot of depravity (laughs) If he doesn't get his milk in five seconds when he asks for it, it's like the world is falling apart. It's like the house is burning down. Ah my brother, be nice to me, please. So we're not born naturally bearing these fruits, but we see how much harder it is even in our day-to-day lives as adults when we're under stress. We're under pain. Patience? Kindness? No love? What's that? So what do we do? Just take this list and do everything in our own willpower? Just let me improve in these areas, force ourselves to live this way? We can't because we, it's too hard. We're only going to get frustrated, feel despair, and on the days that are very bad, it's like we will look at ourselves in the mirror and think the worst. But praise God, there is a better more freeing way. The wonder of this list is that these fruits describe our Lord Jesus Christ perfectly. Our Savior himself is perfect in love, joy, his peace he brings, patience, the kindness that leads us to repentance, his goodness, faithfulness to all his promises, our gentle Savior, came to meet us where we were in our sin. Earlier this week, I was reminded in a Proverbs devotional uh, by Tim Keller that perhaps this is the best way to approach you know, when, what we think about when we look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Not allowing a list like this to crush us because of the ways we fall short, but by looking to our Savior who did it perfectly, gazing at Him, praying to Him, worshiping Him, loving Him, being loved by Him. And this is what he writes, we read this text in light of the gospel. We are not saved by performance, but those saved by grace in Christ love these texts as guides to pleasing and resembling the one who saved us. The gospel produces people who are eager to obey these patterns. And so we turn to him, turn to our beautiful savior. We bask in his kindness, his gentleness, his love, his goodness. We thank him for being perfect in these ways, and we allow that to sink deep into our hearts. How? His word. It all comes back to his word, reading his scriptures, internalizing his truth in our thoughts and in our affections. So it goes out to all of us. There may be some of us in this room who are more intellectually inclined, some of us who are more feelers out there, kind of like myself, We're just kind of driven along by our emotions. We allow the truth to shape both. right? What we think and know, what we gain in our minds about who God is, and we think thoughts after him. We also allow that to enter deep into our souls, our hearts, where we yearn for him, we desire him, where it's the deepest longing of our heart just to be with him and allow his love to melt us and draw us to his side. And as we do that, The verses we read in the scriptures, whether it's this or elsewhere, we allow to come as his word of grace to us, that this is something he will produce in us as we surrender. God, I read this, and it sounds good. It makes sense. I agree. It makes me feel a certain way, but to live it out, it's a whole other thing. It's hard. It's difficult. But as you read, you read in the spirit of understanding that His grace jumps out at us. Notice that these are not called the fruits of Christians, nor they are called the fruits of faithful churchgoers, or the fruits of super-spiritual people who have it all together. It's the fruits of the Spirit. The same Spirit who convicts you that we're bad, that we're self-seeking, that we're depraved and we need Him, but the Spirit who brings good. He indwells you and me by His grace. And when he takes possession of your heart and your soul, when he convicts you, his word fills you, and this power overtakes your life as you're walking with him, as you're living in him, as you're abiding in him, you cannot stop these fruits from bearing. They are irrepressible. I once heard a pastor describe it like this. This was very, very visual to me. It always stuck with me. I never saw the movie Exorcist, and I hope he didn't either. But it's undeniable and obvious when you see you know, scenes like that, when someone has an evil spirit, it's, it shows, right? There's, you know, head spinning, you know, projectile vomiting, pea soup flying out everywhere. And he made this connection. It's like, in the same way, in a much better light, it's undeniable and obvious when the spirit of truth has filled you. That these fruits will be shown in all we say and do. But again, How? Later in the book of John, chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, he's lifting up his high priestly prayer on behalf of his disciples for the world. He prays this for them. Sanctify them in the truth, for your word is truth. For their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And as I read this, I know these are different excerpts from the Gospel of John, but I can't deny the obvious themes that Jesus uses in both his words, his teachings, and his prayers, because these are the things that are driving him in this Gospel. We're sanctified in truth, and his word is truth, and that is what changes us. As he says in John 15 also, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It all comes back. He gives us truth. The truth convicts us of sin. He says, abide in my truth and let my truth abide in you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Bringing glory to the Father. Showing yourself to be my disciples. Put these words deep inside your heart. And maybe one practical thing you can do this week, something I'm revisiting over and over again, is the practice of scripture memory. First, you know, whether it's just in your day to day devotional life versus your heart clings to, but for starters, Maybe memorizing Galatians five twenty two twenty three. 23. Memorize the nine fruits of the Spirit in order. Maybe take two fruits per day. Monday, love, joy. Tuesday, peace, patience. Wednesday, kindness, goodness. You can do Thursday, faithfulness, gentleness. And on Friday, just focus on self-control because nobody has self-control. We all, that's a big one right there. And bring it to the Lord. Lord, take this as truth that allow it to nourish my faith and convict me to live in a way that pleases you. And know that because his grace is sufficient, as we claim that grace and truth to walk in it, that even if we fail, we can always return back to his word because his truth will always remain. He always invites us back in his love, is Let my truth feed you, strengthen you, nourish you. And lastly, we can look at one more important way that truth changes us, commissioning us for mission. Real quick here. In that same passage of the high priestly prayer John 17 that I just mentioned about being sanctified in truth, he adds his prayer in verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus here, he's spending these last precious days and moments with his disciples, speaking about how he's going to leave them, speaking of his spirit of truth that will guide them, free them. His objective was first in speaking to them to love them, to make sure they were loving one another in unity, but also to prepare them to be sent out, to be dispatched into the world to make disciples of all the nations. And so when the spirit of truth grabs a hold of us, there's this deep inner change that we've talked about that takes place and can't be stopped, but there's also this change in the outward direction of our lives where we can no longer just live for ourselves and our own purposes, but to be the church that shines his light. To love those who are blind to the truth, who can neither see nor understand. To love our neighbors, whether they join us here for service here on Sundays or find themselves sitting in our community groups in our weekly meetings. College students, youth students, it's those you sit next to in class, pass in your hallways or on campus. It's about caring for them, having eyes of compassion, no matter how different or strange they seem. and Having built a relationship with them to speak the truth, tell them that Christ is real through his words And show them the truth through our loving acts of love and service. I'm so thankful for our diaconate last week. We heard who's leading us in this direction with the different organizations we're partnering with. Praise God for that. We're praying that many could get involved to actively live this out because that's what the truth compels us to do. May it continue to convict and guide us in this way for his work, which is what will truly fulfill us and what truly counts for all of eternity. You may not be a Christian here today joining us and we thank you for being here. Um, It's a process to understand Christianity and what the church is all about. And we here at Renewal, we really take seriously uh, the truth of scripture. We make sure that it's taught faithfully and explained in a way that's clear and makes sense. And maybe as you're sitting here in your spiritual journey, you're intrigued by the ideas, the teachings, it makes sense. But beyond that, our prayer is that it will make a difference. It will bring change. The point of today is that when you learn and encounter Christ in the Word, which is authoritative and sufficient for all things, that it will change you in ways that you don't realize or even control, in a way that amazes you. And fulfills you so invite you to open your heart put your faith in the one who loves you and see the wonderful things he can do for you maybe you're a struggling christian just kind of hanging on Uh, you're here today struggling to see change in your life you're in an endless cycle of frustration you really want to see some of those bad habits maybe you shared to disappear maybe you really want to see more godly habits appear and grow let me remind you of a passage our brother Nick preached on a few weeks ago, back in 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Where we can turn to, remembering that this is what the truth accomplishes. That all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. You know, those verses really change the way we look at the Bible. It's so much more than trying to figure out what it's good for, answers to our questions, but about turning to his word and truth in times of hopelessness and realizing that it's our only hope for change. This verse tells us that it will make us complete and will train us for righteousness. And so I pray, may the Lord lead and direct us there every time we turn to him in faith. I've written out a prayer for you in the notes, right? a little bit of a personal prayer that came out of my own thoughts, uh, my own desperation for God. As I know, I know even for me as I'm walking, attempting to walk in his truth day by day, wanting to change certain aspects of my own character, my flaws, and really needing him. And I'll just read it here. It says, Lord, in my sanctification, May my spiritual growth and progress be more than just behavior modification and external change. May it be about planting the truth, the life-changing words of God into my heart so that it convicts me of sin, bears spiritual fruit, and puts me on a new path of life, which is ultimately about Him. In closing, just this uh, uh, verse, uh, this uh, closing verse and illustration, I'll read to you from Isaiah 55, 10, and 11. It says, For as a rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, here the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah, assuring his people that his words do not lack power. That the purpose for which he has sent out his words, whether they're warnings of judgment, promises for deliverance or comfort through the Messiah, that none of these words will ever, ever return to him empty. Every last word that God has spoken will accomplish his purposes, he says, they will succeed in the things for which he sent it. What an amazing promise that is. Thinking about, we got, just got a lot of rain this weekend. That just as the rain and snow that comes down from heaven, it waters the earth, it causes every seed that's planted to bring bread to the eater, so you can be even more assured that God's word will always return to him bearing spiritual fruit. I need to remember this as a pastor, as a preacher. I've been called to teach and preach God's word along with my fellow brothers, Bill and Nick, to speak his very words. And there are times when it's not easy. There are times where standing up here brings insecurity and feeling weakness for the task. But that's why we have verses like this. I take great hope in the promise here in Isaiah, along with 1 Corinthians 2, where Paul confesses that He came to them with weakness, fear, and trembling, not with lofty speech, but with a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And that encourages me that it's not up to me, my voice, my thoughts, or ability to speak, but it's a Spirit that illuminates and empowers His Word to accomplish all of His purposes. And for this, He will never, ever fail. It will fail. Fruit. And friends, that spiritual fruit is born in and through us, his very children, whom he created for his glory. We ourselves, our stories, our testimonies, the things he does in us, for us, and through us on a daily basis, we are the glaring proof to this watching world that his word is true, that it's sufficient as we're learning And it's enough for true change in our lives, no matter how hopeless we feel day to day. As well as everything else that we need teaching and guidance in. And so friends, let's never stop living in it, reading it, sharing this truth, for it will always prevail. Amen. Why don't we bow our heads in prayer? Because I pray that these words would cause your heart to be encouraged. That you would have greater hope, because there's nothing that we can accomplish as mere human beings, but what a mighty God, in his humility, love, and mercy has revealed to you. Maybe the journey's been grueling for some of us who've been Christian for a very, very long time. If we feel like we've hit this plateau where we know that certain habits need to go, We could be better at prayer. We could be better in bearing spiritual fruit. We could be better at sharing our faith. And we're reminded today that it's his precious word, God's gift to us, that he's written for us so that we can understand. We can meditate on it. We can learn to love and cherish it, that that is precisely what we need. In times of hopelessness, we can turn to it knowing that it'll always be there. In it, we can sense his love, his mercy, his grace. And we don't have to feel crushed, feeling that I could never live up to this. But as it convicts us of our sin, we know that we can throw ourselves at his mercy. Because though we have sinned against God, God lowered himself to forgive us, to purify us, and to restore us to him. As he does that, he fills you, he indwells you. He floods your mind and your heart, your thoughts and your desires so that you think thoughts and you you yearn and, and desire him more and more. And you see those fruits starting to become more visible in your life. It takes time, but that's where his spirit is at work. And then he sends us out to be his salt and light. Let's take a minute and reflect on that. Let's respond in prayer and turn to the one who holds us in his hands. Jesus, would you encourage and strengthen us in our weakness today? Remind us, God, that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Because the spirit of truth comes, convicting us of the things that we need to surrender. The spirit comes to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. And the spirit comes to send us out, to live your purpose in our lives. So as we meditate on these things, as we memorize your word, as we lean on your grace to live in it day by day, may we find renewed strength. May our despair be broken, and may our dependence and confidence in Christ be strengthened so that we can walk each day, even in weakness, even through pain, even through trouble, with our eyes fixed on our great resurrected Savior who has overcome this world, and we can live in his victory forever.